Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including uh, special guest Bob Levy. He's the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about NSA surveillance. And Andrew Jopp, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz, will be joining us as well. It is May the 31st. Can you believe it's the last day of May already? And on this day, in May 31st, 1921, thousands of white citizens in Tulsa, Oklahoma, descended on the city's predominantly black Greenwood District, burning homes and businesses to the ground and killing hundreds of people, long mischaracterized as a race riot rather than the mass murder that it really was. The Tulsa Race Massacre stands as one of the worst incidents of racial violence in the nation's history. In the years following World War I, segregation was the law of the land of the Ku Klux Klan, where it was gaining ground not only in the Jim Crow South but across the United States. Amid uh, that charged environment, Tulsa's African-American community was nationally recognized for its affluence. The Greenwood District, known as Black Wall Street, boasted more than 300 black-owned businesses, including two movie theaters, doctor's offices, and pharmacies. On May the 30th, 1921, a young black man named Dick Rowland entered an elevator in an office building in downtown Tulsa. At some point, Rowland alone in the elevator with his white operator, Sarah Page. It's unclear what happened. One common version is that Rowland stepped on Page's foot. But Page screamed and Rowland uh, fled the scene. The next day, the police arrested him. Uh, rumors around the incident spread quickly through Tulsa's white community. Some members of the white, uh, which undoubtedly resented the prosperity of the Greenwood District, after a story published in the Tulsa Tribune on the afternoon of May 31st claimed that Rowland had attempted to rape Page, an angry white mob gathered in front of the courthouse demanding that Rowland be handed over. Seeking to prevent a lynching, a group of some 75 black men arrived on the scene that night, some of them World War I vet veterans who were carrying weapons. After a white man tried to disarm a black veteran and the gun went off, chaos just totally broke out. Over the next 24 hours, thousands of white rioters poured into Greenwood District shouting and shooting unarmed black citizens in the streets and burning the area of some 35 city blocks, including more than 1,200 black-owned houses, numerous businesses, a school, a hospital, and duds and churches. Historians believe as many as 300 people were killed in the rampage, although official count at the time was much lower. By the time Governor James Robertson declared martial law and the National Guard troops arrived in Tulsa by noon on June the 1st, the Greenwood District lay in ruins. Survivors of the massacre worked to rebuild the neighborhood, but segregation remained in force in Tulsa and the nation, and racial tensions only grew even as the massacre and its lingering scars were left largely unacknowledged by the white community for decades to come. In 1997, Oklahoma State Legislature created the Oklahoma Commission to study the Tulsa Race Riot of 1921, later renamed the Tulsa Race Massacre Commission, which studied the massacre and recommended that reparations be paid to the remaining black survivors. City officials continued to investigate the events of May the 31st through June the 1st, 1921, and to search for unmarked graves used to bury the massacred many victims. Such a sad and uh, ugly mark on our history. <clears throat> I think it underscores the fact, though, that a mob has no conscience. And once things like that get started, they start to get a mind of their own. And all kinds of uh, legal and moral uh, uh, beliefs just uh, are suspended, unfortunately. And this is, uh, has been the result but clearly underscored by the whole notion of racism in the United States. Well, the House Rules Committee narrowly advanced a bipartisan bill to raise the debt ceiling to $331.4 trillion, despite Republican opposition, according to the New York Post. 
The GOP-controlled committee voted 7-6 to six with no Democrats supporting the measure. The bill faces resistance from the House Freedom Caucus, which threatens to derail the, rail, the deal and jeopardize Speaker Kevin McCarthy's position. The bill, dubbed the Financial Responsibility Act, suspends the debt limit until 2025 but includes provisions for spending cuts, work requirements, and for food uh, benefit programs and reductions in IRS funding. The Post notes that the bill would uh, limit non-defense discretionary spending to 1% annual growth, claw back tens of billions of dollars in unspent COVID relief funds, and tie food benefits to work requirements. It would cut $136 billion in federal spending, at least $1.4 billion of which would come from the Internal Revenue Service, far less than the $72 billion cut from Republican passed in one of their first bills that Congress to thwart the hiring of an additional 87,000 IRS agents. Uh, uh, Representative Chip Roy, a Republican from Texas, called the bill a turd sandwich, and that compromises Republican principles. Uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen set a new uh, deadline of June the 5th for an agreement on raising the debt limit, highlighting the urgency of the situation. People are very unhappy. And uh, I quite frankly have real concerns that this bill is not going to survive, at least don't survive in its current uh, shape. And I would imagine that the uh, Freedom Caucus is going to have something to say about the final Uh, design of this bill and whether it will make it through Congress, I just don't know. Uh, President Trump has basically said, you know what, may as well default now as default later because it's going to lead to the same situation. Uh, Stay tuned. This is how we make sausage in the United States. Well, America's credit card balance has surpassed $1 trillion, or it's about to, depending on whom you ask. The average interest rate on a new card is uh, 24%, the highest figure since the Reaganomics era. The typical American household now carries $10,000 in credit card debt by one estimate. That's another record. So it's not just the uh, com- uh, the country's situation and the government. It's also uh, personal finances as well that are in jeopardy at this point. Well, a massive collection of seaweed approaching the Florida coast has raised concerns over the presence of potentially harmful flesh-eating bacteria as indicated by a study conducted by Florida Atlantic University. The findings published in the Journal of Water Research highlight that the enormous clump spanning approximately 5,000 miles consists of sargassum, seaweed, along with floating plastic. Researchers discovered that the seaweed cluster can harbor various species of Ibrio bacteria, some of which can be detrimental to human health. The study further reveals that bleached sarcasm seaweed contains significant concentrations of these bacteria. Moreover, the bacteria can attach themselves to marine plastic debris, which accumulates extensively within the mass of the seaweed. So no update on exactly where the seaweed patch is, 5,000 miles long and wide. That's a big, big patch of seaweed, although we had Ellen Prager on, who's a marine scientist, who said that it actually could change directions at any time. But currently, at this point, it's heading towards the Paradise Coast. Or at least South Florida. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy warned he will hit FBI Director Christopher Wray with a contempt charge if he missed the subpoena deadline to turn over classified documents showing President Joe Biden's alleged involvement in the $5 million bribery scheme. And he already did. He just missed it. Last night it was at midnight, and he didn't didn't comply. And House Oversight Chair James Comer said Ray's stiff-arming oversight is uh, going to start the process for a contempt of Congress charge for the FBI director. Today, the FBI informed the committee that it will not provide the unclassified documents subpoenaed by the committee, Comer wrote in a statement. The FBI's decision to stiff-arm Congress and hide this information from the American people is obstructionist and unacceptable. And while I have a call scheduled with FBI Director uh, today to discuss his response further, the committee has been clear in its intent to protect congressional oversight authorities and will now be taking steps to hold the FBI Director in contempt of Congress for refusing to comply with uh, the lawful subpoena. Comer is uh, seeking an informant file from the FBI, which purportedly links Biden to a $5 million bribery scheme, which when he was vice president, 
The informant tip is dated June 30th, 2020. <clears throat> Staffer Comer, uh, who is leading the investigation into influence peddling by the first family, met with bureau officials one week ago who refused to hand over the file, according to the New York Post. But McCarthy insisted we have to have a right. To, we have a right to see it. He does not have a right to choose what he shows us. We oversee the FBI. If he thinks differently, there will be a contempt charge. Uh, there's enough problems in the FBI, and I will not st- sit back and allow him to ignore this, McCarthy continued. We'll get this document. He has not denied the document is there. He knows that it is a document, and we will uh, have a responsibility to see it. So uh, the, the problem is, of course, there's no teeth in the contempt charge uh, when it comes to uh, some sort of uh, uh, proceedings with uh, the contempt charge. Of course, we know the FBI and the CIA, I should say, the Justice Department has demonstrated it's highly influenced and corrupt, in my opinion. So uh, whether anything will come from this, I just don't know. But clearly, this document is is, uh, very damning uh, to the Biden family. And furthermore, according to his write-up in the New York Post, text messages show Joe Biden appearing to know about the embattled son's business dealings. The current president's brother, Jim Biden, also comforted Hunter Biden in another message while indicating that Joe Biden was directly involved in what they were doing. The background of the text messages, as explained by Jonathan Turley, he's the great uh, uh, University of George, uh, George Washington University uh, uh, professor and attorney, is a 2018 piece published by the New York Times It represented one of the first admissions by the mainstream media that Hunter Biden's business dealings and personal life were problematic. In response to the article, Biden's team worked frantically to try to get it altered. How much was changed, we don't know. What we do know is that Joe Biden then told his son that I think you're clear. How would Joe Biden know that his son is clear if he knew nothing about his business dealings? Well, that's that's a good question. The answer is that he wouldn't. That's long been a serious contradiction because the uh, current president is clearly lying, as shown by many pieces of evidence, which he says were oblivious. He was oblivious. And Jim Biden, the president's troubled brother, who also has a long checkered history of trading on Joe Biden's name. In another message following the Times report, Jim Biden offered Hunter Biden a safe harbor. Uh, It says that he can next then be uh, really eye-opening, though. The new uh, messages indicate that Bidens were worried that Hunter was in the in a free fall in these dealings and was becoming known uh, uh, and revenue was declining. Jim Biden appears to be rushing to get Hunter Biden to work on the problem with the family. He assures him that they can find a safe harbor and I can work with your father. I cannot work with your father alone. Probably means he can't work with his father alone. Anyhow, the messages may refer to the fact that Hunter Biden's past complaint was that he was giving as much as half of his proceeds to his father and was now facing towering financial demands. The offer of Safe Harbor appears to be related to a drug binge that Hunter Biden was on at the time, not fearing of criminal prosecution. Uh, Jim Biden was uh, asking his nephew to come back, but the reason doesn't appear to be related to well-being. When you read the next line, I can uh, suspect I can was actually meant to mean I can't in this message uh, dealing with his uh, father, uh, or in this case, his brother, uh, Joe Biden. We have emails proving that Hunter Biden was upset for having to give so much money to his father only underscores that message. Joe Biden can no longer lie his way out of this, and there's too much evidence that he knew what his son was doing. The truth is coming clear. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with uh, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He's an author. He's also the uh, chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you. Bob, tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on limited government, private property, securing individual liberty and free markets, cato.org on the web. Thank you, Bob. Uh, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about executive overreach on the executive uh, branch of the federal government. Let's turn to NSA surveillance, which is uh, today very controversial. And, of course, uh, privacy and uh, f- personal freedoms are <laughs> a real concern to many of us. Uh, what are the so-called metadata and the PRISM programs that have been so controversial? Yeah, this related to the disclosure some time ago by Edward, Edward Snowden. Uh, the, the metadata program is the collection of non-content <clears throat> phone records. That is, the date of your call, the time of your call, what number you call, but not what you said. And that was on virtually every American mm. under the, <clears throat> the business records provisions of the Patriot Act. The PRISM Act was different. It authorized, and this is under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, it authorized the collection of Internet data from Google, from Facebook, and from others, without a warrant, as long as the target wasn't a U.S. person or a foreigner operating inside the U.S. So they could surveil a foreigner outside the U.S. and if he happened to be talking to, or it happened to sweep up calls with a U.S. person, those calls would also be monitored, again, without a warrant. So, uh, did Edward Snowden do us a favor by disclosing these programs? Well, I think no matter what you think about the guy, he sparked a long overdue debate uh, regarding NSA surveillance. What we didn't know was the full scope of that surveillance, uh, what could be done with the data, what triggered a, what would trigger a further look at the content of the phone calls, how long the data is retained, who had access to it, 
what oversight procedures were in place, and what did they do if somebody abused the uh, uh, the program. We didn't know any of that, and now we know a great deal more uh, thanks to Snowden. So in your opinion, is Snowden a hero or a traitor? Well, I think the, you know, the main argument uh, against treating him as a hero is that he may have disclosed cr- crucial information to such uh, bastions of liberty as Russia, China, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba. Those were countries where he applied for asylum, of course, ending up in Russia. So that's the crux of the matter for some pro-liberty people. Uh, Snowden deserves our gratitude for uncovering government abuse, and he did so at, at some personal risk. On the other hand, he probably had help uh, from Russia, and he may have compromised a vital national security interest. So it's a, it's a mixed bag. So uh, he's now in Russia, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. Is he as a threat to United States security right now? Could he be spilling the beans? Well, he could be. We really don't know because we have no uh, way of, of uh, ascertaining what his duties are in Russia yeah. or what tasks they have given him. Um, so I really think they, that's an outstanding question. Okay, so any suggestions for resolving the Snowden matter? Well, you know, one that's not likely going to happen, but I have a suggestion, and that is, you know, he could come home if he'd cooperate. Uh, the deal would be he wouldn't be prosecuted for anything that's already been disclosed, but he, he could be held accountable uh, for any other actions, which, by the way, he's denied, uh, that would amount to uh, espionage, which traditionally defined as transmitting national defense information with either the intent or the reason to believe that it would be used uh, to the injury of the U.S. or to the benefit of a a foreign uh, country. And then, of course, as constitutionally required, the government would have the burden of presenting evidence to a grand jury and obtaining an indictment and prevailing in a criminal trial. Uh, Since Snowden claims he didn't do any of this, uh, that's the outline of a deal. But again, it's not going to happen. I don't think he has any friends, though, in the CIA and other agencies, so it could be a pretty heavy lift. So what did the courts said about the NSA surveillance? Well, he had this big case 25 years ago uh, called Smith versus Maryland uh, that ruled that we don't have a privacy right in non-content data because the phone companies collect the data. So we've given it up to them. Therefore, it's sort of public information. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that occurred, that case, 1979, before the NSA developed these sophisticated techniques to monitor just about everybody in all places at all times, um, there was a case that went before a federal court, and the judge held in that case that metadata is uh, surveillance is unconstitutional. Uh-huh. Uh, he pointed out that the Smith case uh, involved a one-time targeted request for data regarding a, an individual sub- suspect in a criminal investigation. And by contrast, the NSA program is a daily uh, indiscriminate dump of data yeah. from people who weren't suspected of any uh, wrongdoing. And he went on to say that the government doesn't cite a single instance in which this metadata actually stopped an imminent uh, attack. Interesting. So uh, are there experts are making comments about this NSA surveillance program? Yeah, well, there was this 230-page report from the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board that stated that the, um, the metadata uh, surveillance um, raises constitutional concerns about unreasonable searches and free speech and a free press, and they concluded that it should be halted, and indeed it has been, by the way, and, uh, and that the existing data that was collected should be deleted. And that one interesting quote from that study said, we have not identified a single instance involving a threat to the United States in which the program made a concrete difference in the outcome of a counterterrorism uh, or a terrorist attack. So I think the NSA should require a warrant to get these relevant records if they want them from the phone companies. As long as the attorneys tell the truth to <laughs> to the court. So yeah. what what does the uh, FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act uh, court, uh, stand? Well, he, the judge there said that the government presented a flawed depiction of how they used the uh, metadata and inaccurate statements. And he wrote that the privacy procedures have been frequently and system, 
systemically violated mm-hmm. and never functioned uh, effectively. Another judge uh, on the same question said, contrary to the government's repeated assurances, the NSA had been routinely running queries of non-content data using terms that didn't meet the required uh, standard, and he accused the government of substantial misrepresentation misrepresentation regarding the scope of the prison program. So there's been uh, criticism from the bench, uh, mm-hmm. and that's what ultimately resulted in this program being abandoned. But, of course, we now have other sorts of leaks that are occurring, and uh, we still have some of the same concerns. For sure. So tell us about the compromise legislation, the USA Freedom Act and its renewal. Well, McConnell um, and the, some of the conservative Republicans wanted to extend the Patriot Act, the metadata program. Uh, some of the libertarians, led by <coughs> Rand Paul, in an alliance with some liberal Democrats, wanted to repeal the provision. So Obama at the time, and most of the Democrats, and some of the Republicans, uh, voted for a compromise, and that would be after a six-month transition. Uh, the metadata would be collected by the phone companies, as they had been doing, and then the data could be queried by government against only known terrorist terrorist numbers, and they'd have to get an order from the Foreign Surveillance Court, uh, and they'd have to set forth a reasonable, articulable suspicion. Uh, that provision finally expired uh, in 2020, mm-hmm. and the new modifications are that the intelligent court's opinions will be declassified, and if it's not possible to declassify them, they'll be summarized so that we, the public, will now have a better idea of what's going on with the, uh, with the foreign court. The PRISM program, uh, that is these foreign communications that can, be, that can also sweep up domestic communications, that uh, can continue, and it was renewed in 2018. Well, I believe, again, uh, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you for clearing up these important issues, and thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And I hope you'll find out more and get tickets and great performances coming up. You can visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org.
We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So typically we start interviews on, on Wednesday with uh, you're announcing some good news. Do you have any good news for us today? Uh, a little bit, but I think it's uh, by inference in terms of its impact on the United States. Uh, over the weekend, there were elections in Spain. Now, that may not seem that has any impact on us, but I, I think we have to look at these, these global trends that may be, be happening. So mm -hmm. uh, in Spain, uh, over the weekend, in the local elections, uh, the ruling socialist parties uh, suffered significant losses. I mean, dramatic losses, totally unexpected. Uh, there's the general election coming up at the end of this year uh, for leadership of Spain itself, and there's a very good chance that the socialists may be out in Spain. So when we see a country like Spain moving in that direction, I think that uh, that's a, a very good news story in its potentials, Bob. Uh, I'll give a negative story at this point, but it's worth mentioning. Um, uh, Germany is introducing new, this is just the reverse of what I just said in terms of good news. Uh, Germany is introducing new uh, authorities uh, to control environmental issues, uh, climate issues, through the behavioral change mechanism of its citizens. They align this with their uh, previous process of shutdowns during COVID. So what is being suggested uh, that Germany may plan to do is totally control uh, behavior, including maybe lockdowns in the home. I mean, that's not uh, specific, but that's being suggested uh, to control the, the climate issue. Uh, Germany's having significant energy issues, and they may look at all of this in a, uh, in a in the same barrel and try to control climate and their energy problems through behavioral controls. Now, again, this is a, a type of situation that I think we have to monitor because it's certainly something that uh, could affect the United States states in terms of, of potential directions, Bob. Uh, one more good news story, which is somewhat facetious, I'll admit that going in. Uh, in New York City, they have decided to uh, to shelter some of the migrants in a prison, in a closed prison, an ex-prison in Harlem. Uh, now, I'm just going to make the, the point facetiously, perhaps that's where these uh, illegal entrants should have been to start with in <laughs> in, in prisons, Bob. Yeah, no. So that that's my good news story for today. Not much, I admit, but, but that's it. Well, uh, that is all good news. And I must say, uh, when it comes to energy and uh, how the Germans are handling that situation, I like uh, Trump's solution, drill, baby, drill. I mean, that's, Bob, I mean, I'm not going to negate what you're saying, but it's so obvious. I mean, so many, I think the frustration for many of us is that the answers to America's problems are obvious. They're just, uh, they're not even debatable. These are answers, right. uh, but they're being rejected. And I think therein lies the uh, the problem. Uh, I think we took a, uh, a major hit in the 2022 elections when we didn't retake the Senate uh, and when we just... Uh, assumed a, a very slim majority in the House. So I think everything else has been complicated be, because of that, including the obvious solution that you just suggested, which is to uh, drill baby drill. And I certainly, if we could uh, increase our, our, our totally uh, almost unex, uh, unexpendable sources of uh, fossil fuels, uh, th that would be the answer, Bob. And certainly that, uh, that is something I'm predicting is not going to happen in the immediate future. I would agree with that. Andy, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do 
you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees, I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They know the politics and the policy, and they prepare elected officials to have a winning strategy in legislatures. A terrific organization. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining Always us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on the debt ceiling debate and what's going on right now. I'm going to talk about that uh, probably more extensively than any, any other issue, but let me just mention something else before we get there. There have been some uh, recent drone attacks on Moscow. Now, uh, the problem with that, of course, is it's one step closer to uh, World War III or eventually a nuclear confrontation. I'm not predicting that, obviously, but yeah. uh, well, those type of situations are, are, are always ripe with, uh, with potential. Uh, there's also been some ground incursions into Russia itself, uh, the problem with all of these things is the, the source of both the drone attacks and the incursion are, are being debated. The drone attacks uh, have been suggested uh, maybe being done by Russia itself as a false flag, uh, being done by uh, Ukraine, of course, being done by, uh, by Russian anti-Putin forces, being done by, uh, by the United States. I mean, so the, the, there is no clarity in terms of this. The same thing with the incursion. It's being suggested it's being done by anti-Putin forces. Russian forces that are separatist, uh, essentially, uh, being done by, uh, by Ukraine. The more dangerous uh, implication giving to the ground incursion is the one that, that Moscow was highlighting, is that the vehicles used in these ground incursions are all American vehicles. So they're, they're suggesting that this represents a very specific American process of attacking Mother Russia itself. Uh, and again, these are all things that are that are dangerous, uh, even if they're false flags. Uh, I think they indicate Russia's intent to to uh, amp up the the entire process uh, in Ukraine, and th- that seems to be happening right now, Bob. Can you imagine if you fast forwarded five years from now, if uh, with artificial intelligence, where we might stand with all of this? No, I can't. By, yeah. <laughs> by the way, I, I would like to have that kind of prescience, but uh, I, I can't. Uh, certainly, I think considering the the rapid decline in human rational thought and decision making, uh, it seems inevitable that perhaps we will turn over these uh, decisions to artificial intelligence, which includes uh, military operations, government policy, and almost anything else we can think of. Uh, as humans fail, AI will become the the go-to source for decision making, Bob. Yeah, the thought just jumped in my mind that, that the fact there could be no soldiers could just be artificial intelligence drones and so forth uh, fighting the war and the one with the best intelligence and uh, technology would win that's a it's a frightening thought because uh, that has nothing to do of course with ideology or what is best for the world and so forth but uh, the point being is that uh, we have an un- a really frightening thing on our doorstep and it hasn't been thought through very well well you know uh Science fiction has long been predicting pretty much uh, what you've been alluding to. Yeah. Uh, some of the, the, the scenarios would include, for example, uh, that uh, nation states would 
would uh, voluntarily allow for the destructions of their property through uh, through weaponry controlled by artificial intelligence. And th- this way they'd be able to control the destruction, control the death level. And uh, I'm not sure even what that would, uh, what that would uh, happen as a result. But essentially all of these scenarios have a, have a long-standing in science fiction that has now become, unfortunately, a, uh, a front and center reality, Bob. Absolutely. So, Andy, I've kind of pulled you away from uh, the topic at hand, which, of course, is the debt ceiling debate. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, my first thought is, as I've been reading on this, uh, is just as a concerned citizen and certainly somebody that uh, is involved with conversations, uh, I have not been able to uh, uh, to uh, put a firm view on this. It's like nailing jelly to a wall. I, I just... I, I just don't know. I mean, some very strong conservatives are saying this is a, uh, a a good deal. Some other very good conservatives are saying it's the worst deal deal ever. I, I think they're talking about two different things. I, I think those that say it's not a good deal are talking in the absolute sense. In other words, if we if we forget what can be done, they're they're saying that the the best that could that could happen is not being done. Uh, others that are saying it's a good deal are saying within our current restrictions mm-hmm. with the with the balance of political power in Washington that it may be a good deal in the sense it's the best deal we can get so those seem to be the uh, the two prevailing uh, positions that that create a difference of viewpoint and perhaps both of them are right Bob actually yeah, yeah. it's certainly not the best deal if we could write it ourselves as a a blank slate uh, but on the other hand, it may be, considering the the presidency is Democrat, the Senate's Democrat, and the House is a very slim Republican majority, it may be absolutely the best uh, the best we can get. Uh, the numbers, in fact, really do not support uh, even that it's the best deal we could get, though, Bob. So uh, the numbers uh, do not speak well to the implications of this. Uh, you're so right about that. One observation, however, is that... Uh, uh, Byron Donalds, our uh, congressman, has been in the news constantly. Uh, yesterday, he was on the steps of the uh, of uh, the, the Capitol with conservatives behind him, speaking for them. It just occurred to me that he is just gaining more and more influence in Congress. It wouldn't surprise me if they decide to vacate uh, the Speaker of the House uh, from his position right now. He could be the candidate that that emerges. Well, I think uh, if if there is a, vaca- uh, va- a vacating, or they say vacation, a vacating of the, the speaker's position, McCarthy is uh, is I think uh, losing support. This debt ceiling uh, resolution, which will come to the floor today, uh, certainly may may lead to that. And I think uh, Byron Donalds, uh, in the initial vote for McCarthy, showed that he he had strength. Obviously, he is a well a well respected uh, person in the in the House, even though he's not a long term uh, House member. Uh, and I think he would be a uh, the go-to person if it's if it's McCarthy on the on the out. I would agree. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I'm I, I'm split in my thinking is on this as well. I mean, I can understand that. Hey, we've got a slim majority in the House. Uh, we're in the minority in the Senate. We have a pr- uh, Democrat president. You know, how much can you possibly command and demand out of the circumstances? On, uh, and I just. You know, I think uh, McCarthy probably did the best he could, and uh, I respect that on one hand. On the other hand, President Trump says, hey, you know what? You may as well default now because we're going to default in the future because we're on the way to uh, Armageddon, so to speak. So he didn't say that. I did. But point being is that there's certainly two strong positions on this, and you could uh, argue for either one. Well, I mean, I think uh, there's uh, significant uh, positive to be said about a controlled default as compared to a default imposed on you by, by reality. Uh, that, that default may be one that is inescapable, may cause us to lose our, uh, our currency as the reserve currency. Uh, and so, again, that, uh, that default that is imposed on us uh, may be far more serious than a default that we accept at this point. Uh, I am not wise enough to understand the total implications of a default at this point. I don't think anyone really is. Uh, but as somebody has said, that all of the things that would be damaged in the short term by a default will immediately be made whole in the short term after that. So um, I, I think that's probably true. 
Uh, if we look at some of the numbers, and I think they have to be uh, surveyed a little bit, uh, first place, this uh, this minimal reduction in the funding for the, the IRS, and they, they tout it as a significant uh, victory, I guess, a 2% cutback in the, in the uh, IRS funding, uh, which would essentially cut the number of IRS agents hired, I think, from 87,000 down to 85,000. Right. Certainly not, not a big deal by, by any means. Uh, there was no attempt made to uh, impact on uh, significant discretionary spending, uh, including the discretionary aspects of, of Social Security. And uh, I think a case can be made that we need an $88 billion increase in the, in the military budget. I am not making that case myself. I'm saying the case could be made yeah. with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, with the, with the absence of foreign wars. Is it a necessary spending? Uh, that I think that debate should be had. Uh, if we're looking at the amount of discretionary spending, uh, uh, the federal government budget proposal, according to this, the uh, discretionary spending in, uh, let me look at the numbers, in 2024 will go up to $722 billion on discretionary spending. If we look at that same number in fiscal year 2022, it is $591 billion. So we're talking about a $130 billion increase in discretionary spending from 19, from 2022 uh, through the spending aspects of 2024. Uh, so we're looking at, if we just, just look at those numbers, I, I think we're looking at a, a, a serious problem. I don't think anyone would doubt that we have a serious problem. This debt ceiling resolution uh, in no way seriously impacts. I, I've read one projection where the, the uh, provisions of it will increase uh, spending over the, within its, pro, within its uh, positions by $4 trillion, uh, and there's really no serious impact that would be made on the, the overall debt or uh, ultimately the deficit spending of the government, although there will be some minor, uh, some minor impacts on that, but very minor, uh, not to be even considered significant. All right. Well, I'm no policy wonk, but I do have this concern, and that is that uh, they're going to suspend the debt ceiling through 2025. Suspend it. That basically means no, no matter how much debt we take on, uh, it's going to be okay until 2025 when we're going to have to grapple with this again. Now, uh, the Democrats, in my opinion, are evil, but they're not stupid. They probably, you know, when the devil's in the details, and I'm sure there's ways to work around the 1% increase and all the other things that they put in this thing, they always do. So I'm, I'm real concerned about uh, the fact that we don't have a cap, we don't have a, a, a ceiling uh, until 2025. Yeah, it's it's wide open, and they they position that to be uh, immediately following the the presidential election of 2024. So that will not be directly in the debate, or perhaps it will be, but it will not be a significant specific issue. Uh, that'll also be at the point of seating the new Congress. Uh, so again, it's going to be a point in, in transition. Uh, so whether or not there'll be the traction uh, to seriously uh, affect this in any way awaits uh, to be seen. But I think they're scheduling it for January of 2025 is certainly done with uh, a high degree of, uh, of Machiavellian politics by the Democrat left. Bob. Absolutely. So, Andy, we need to just take another break and you stick around. I'll be here. Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue 
Provence restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We've been talking for years about how wonderful Lulabee's Diner is for breakfast or lunch here on the Paradise Coast. They're located in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Well, now they're serving dinner uh, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. It's casual. It's great. The menu's terrific. The food is terrific. And uh, very reasonably priced. So I encourage you to uh, just you don't need a reservation. Just go to Lulabee's Diner, 4 to 8 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday. Enjoy terrific menu. It is great. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. I, I would just add that the people at Lulabee's are some of the most friendly and courteous and efficient people that I've ever seen in a in a restaurant setting. So I, I'd like that's my just my personal view. I'm I'm not being paid for that. It's just my my personal experience over the years with Lulabee's. Well, absolutely, and of course, uh, Andy and I have become great friends, and along with some other folks. So uh, we we meet there every couple of weeks just to have a a wonderful breakfast and a terrific discussion. So Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. So uh, any any other follow up comments before I change to it? Getting back to this uh, the the debt ceiling debate, I I think it could be summed up within Ron DeSantis's comment on this, where he said. After this deal, our country will still be careening towards bankruptcy. Right. And I think that is an undeniable truth, and no matter what is said about it in the specifics, what is off, or offered about it in terms of it's good, not good, the greatest, or not the greatest, uh, I think DeSantis' comment is undeniably the defining remark about this. Our country is still careening towards bankruptcy. I would like to add another uh, comment about this, something that the left is already starting to do in terms of this debt ceiling and budget debate in general. If we look at 2024 and that election, it is projected that for the first time, uh, the voting demographic of the, the millennials and Gen Zers will uh, will exceed that of the baby boomers and the older generation. So here we have this uh, dramatically, rapidly increasing demographic, the millennials and the Gen Zers, all, always favoring the, the Democrat left. And the Democrats are positioning this debt ceiling debate uh, in, in, the, in terms of the Republicans appear to be uh, favoring the older American uh, doing, uh, doing service for them while ignoring the needs of the of the younger generation. That is what the left is saying, and I'm sure that kind of drumbeat will increase uh, as time goes on, Bob. That's such a great observation, Andy. In addition, I'll add this, that uh, you know, when it comes to politics, these guys are more concerned about the posturing and printing in order to make something happen in the so-called ribbon-cutting than they are the long-term effects of what's done. I'm not suggesting that for uh, necessarily all people in Congress, but uh, the important thing is to get a deal done, and I suspect uh, in the last hour, in the 11th hour, in the 59th minute, they're going to pull something off and uh, have some sort of an agreement. So we'll we'll see how that plays. Hey, before I let you go, I do want to talk to you about Trump and DeSantis and the face-off that's going on in the Republican Party. It appears to be the these are the two top candidates. What are your thoughts? Well, they are the two top candidates. I would add that there's other candidates on the table uh, that will be on the platform that I like. I certainly uh, like Tim Scott. I like Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, I don't think at this at this moment in our history they're right for the presidency, but uh, that doesn't mean we can't like them. And I think we have to learn that people can be strong, uh, strong supporters of the appropriate positions without at a given moment being presidential timber. And I think that's true of Tim, Tim Scott and Ramaswamy. But 
if we look at the, the two major contenders, and I think uh, no one would intrude on this thought, uh, it is Trump versus, versus DeSantis. Uh, if we look just at the numbers right now, I think there's something significant that uh, that can be noted. Uh, Trump's lead nationally is now uh, at 53 percent to 22 percent. I think the important thing to consider is that lead has shrunk by six points over the past week. Now, whether that is a general trend or something that is re- immediately reflective of of the DeSantis announcement and it will it will not continue, we'll have to wait and see. But mm-hmm. I think a six point drop in a week in that that lead is important. If we look at the uh, the early uh, primary uh, states, uh, how are how are these two candidates, DeSantis and and Trump, doing? If we look at both Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, both in both of those states, uh, in the caucus areas of those states, Trump is leading big as big leads in both of those states over DeSantis. Uh, if he was to take those those states uh, in the primaries and the caucuses. Uh, based on the current lead, it would be a, s- a dramatic deflation, I, I believe, uh, for the DeSantis candidacy. And again, as, as I've noted, and you've noted, I know you support this, uh, DeSantis is a fine candidate for the presidency. I, I have no problem with that. I still am an active supporter, obviously, uh, because of my history with, uh, with Donald Trump. Uh, but right, right now, the numbers do look good uh, for Donald Trump, but those, those are numbers in polls, and they are not, they are not people stepping into a vote booth or mailing in a ballot. That's true. The, the one thing that concerns me is there's this uh, notion that Trump can't win. And somehow, some way, it's been repeated so often by the mainstream media that people actually believe it. And, uh, and <laughs> to me, I mean, he is so overwhelmingly popular in his base. I mean, the intensity of his support with his base is unbelievable. And I think it'll only grow over time. And of course, once he gets the nomination, I think, well, we'll see what will happen. But uh, it's so interesting. I think there's an interesting number in, in New Hampshire as to whether or not that has any meaning beyond New Hampshire. I don't know. But in the people under 35 in New Hampshire, Donald Trump is pulling 75% of the vote in the polling uh, uh, results uh, from the people under 35 in New Hampshire. Wow. Now, to me, that was a surprising number. I yeah. never expected that. Uh, New Hampshire is a unique, uh, unique state, obviously, perhaps more unique than most. Uh, but that number, if it's reflected nationally in any way, is a dramatic statement in terms of, Trump, of Trump's uh, vote-getting potential, Bob. What do you think about the uh, president of Mexico spouting off and suggesting that uh, don't vote for Biden? <laughs> I think it's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm sorry, I missed that, Bob. Well, the, the president of Mexico says don't vote for Biden is basically what he was saying uh, to, to the American voters. I found that just to be an interesting position on his part. Yeah, I mean, yes, um, yeah, uh, I, I have no comment, but I, yes, absolutely true, Bob. Absolutely. Well, Andy, uh, with everything said at this point, <clears throat> what's your prognostication? What do you think is going to happen? I think unless Trump blows it, I think the, the nomination is his. Um, I, but again, he can blow it. I, I'm looking at some of his recent comments about the uh, the First Step Act and his accusations against uh, DeSantis having supported it back in 2013 uh, when the act was actually signed in 2018. Uh, in fact, uh, Donald Trump signed that in 2018, even though from May to December of 2018, 34 Republicans in the House changed their vote from yes to no. 57 Democrats went from no to yes. In other words, the point I'm making is that from the origins of that First Step Act uh, to the point of it being signed, there was a strong Republican rejection of it and a strong acceptance by the Democrats. And still, Donald Trump signed it. I wish he would defend that that signing. I think it can be defended. Uh, I've read the first uh, the first step act, and it uh, it's not a horrendous act. It, it uh, has many good provisions that I think were necessary. But I think instead he has converted it to an attack on on DeSantis. I don't think that will serve Trump well. I think he should run on his record. And if he had done that from the beginning, I do think 
the primary is, is his, and I think the nomination is his. I think that's a terrific summary, and I think we'll leave it with that, Andy. Again, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, a terrific read, but off topic for today's discussion. I hope you take a look at Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk soon, Bob. All right, thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow, including Keith Flaw. He is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pete Motley is the president of Less Government. Dr. George Markovich is an orthopedic surgeon. In fact, he's my orthopedic surgeon. He uh, has replaced my knees and my hip, and I'm so grateful for it. And Bill Barnett, the former mayor of Naples, will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, please tell your friends. That's one of the ways we get the word out and support our advertisers. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.